Hello and welcome to the Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a company where talent comes first. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations hire candidates faster, develop the skills of their workforce, and increase employee retention. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Saidov, and today I am delighted to welcome Stefan Bigal. Stefan is the Group Head of Talent at Telia and has had a broad career having worked at a number of organizations, including Page Group, Volvo, and I'm really looking forward to digging into the many things that I know you have strong points of views on, Stefan. I'll get started with just a bit of uh, history from you on your career story. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey so far. Oh, let's keep it brief. So Stefan, been at Telia for the last, well, a year and three months. As you mentioned, I worked at Volvo Cars for approximately five years, building a TA function from scratch, which was a fantastic adventure. And I had spent nine years prior to that at Page Group, a commercial recruitment firm, and did the general recruitment consulting career, consultant, senior consultant manager, and then I ran an office and was part of the Nordic management team. So going from the commercial side into in-house was not a shock, but it was an interesting learning, especially going into a as big company as Volvo was. And having spent five years there and having the responsibility first for TA in the Nordics, then EMEA, and then the last two years, I had the global responsibility for anything that was recruitment related. So white color, blue color, contingent, permanent, as well as on and off boarding. So quite a comprehensive role, but after five years, it was time to do something else. And I was then approached by Telia company who has a footprint in the Nordics and Baltics and was initially recruited to take care of talent acquisition. But now since the spring, the scope has broadened a bit to also include talent management with diversity inclusion, with succession planning, performance. And it's fantastic to have a rather great a big team that is located in the six countries we're operating in. So leading at a distance is something that I've learned already over the past six years, first at Volvo, now Telia. If we go back a little bit further, I started finance at business school here in Gothenburg and worked with sales, with entrepreneurship, was part of a business plan competition for two years. I ran my own business for a while. And then with the slide of a banana peel, I ended up within the world of recruitment and have been in, let's say, talent, talent acquisition, talent management since January of 2008. I love the reference of the slide of the banana peel there. By the way, I don't know if you know, but modern bananas are no longer slippery. It's a flashback to the bananas of yesteryear, the big mic that used to be slippery. But speaking of the yesteryear, your story of starting at a non-in-house team and moving in-house and then moving from talent acquisition to owning broader talent management, that journey is one we're seeing happen more and more today. We're seeing more organizations start to create that broader talent remit and more folks moving into in-house roles and sometimes into talent roles from other parts of the business. And so you've paved the way of something I think is becoming increasingly a new norm in the industry. What are you seeing as some other emerging new norms as you move into this broader remit and in this sort of post-pandemic world where new orders are settling? I would say, especially post-pandemic, is that the hybrid way of working is the new normal. There is essentially, I mean, some companies say office first, some say it's a mix of both. Having teams across six countries, it is, of course, 
the leadership aspect of leading from a distance, that is something that we are focused on quite a lot. Then the role of a, let's say, TA professional or recruiter, depending on what you want to call it, has also changed significantly. It's not only about filling recs, but rather being that forward-thinking business partner that needs to have a ton of understanding of how the market is developing, how skills are ever-changing, how roles are emerging and developing over time. If I look back at my time at Volvo, year three of my tenure, we recruited roles that weren't even on the market three years prior. And the way that competencies change, the way we have to re and upskill our existing workforce is also something we look a lot closer at today than we've ever done. And people tend to have multiple careers within, let's say, with either the same employer and or various employers. So your typical career path that you might have had decades ago where you started in a company, you had one particular job and that's the job you then had for the rest of your life, that is more or less gone. So it's one thing being an interesting employer and being able to attract talent, then retaining them, super important. But equally important, that's also that, let's say, employees realize that they need to stay employable. That coin has two sides. Both are equally important. So it is crucial that, that companies can provide those re- and upskilling opportunities to extend the tenure of an individual because attrition is something we're all fighting with, especially within new tech-related roles where great talent always have numerous opportunities on the table at the same time. So how do you stay relevant as an employer? How do you prolong the tenure of, of an employee? But then also when it comes to the offboarding part, how do you ensure that you do that in a professional manner so that you can increase your boomerangs, people actually coming back after some time. So it is, I don't want to say it, it was less complex five or 10 years ago, but it's definitely becoming more and more complex. Then of course, also looking into what AI is giving us in terms of opportunities, but also challenges. It's not one single thing, Sultan. I think the, the complexity is that there are so many things in the air that you need to address at the same time. So my manager, she has a fantastic saying that we need to build the plane while we fly it because you're never going to be done and then start with the next thing, but you have to, to deal with and juggle multiple challenges and tasks at the same time. The piece that I think is an interesting thread through the challenge you've touched on of both retaining employees and thinking through the, the internal tooling and technology changes from AI to offboarding, a common thread across those that we see is the, is the concept of transparency. You know, you can't tackle everything yourself when there's so many things happening, but you can provide more options for employees to self-direct themselves better with better transparency. For example, are there development opportunities that they should be seeking out when they want to make certain career moves rather than, you know, waiting for careers to happen to them? Well, it's easy to expect employees to upskill. It's actually harder to make sure that they have access to do that. And it's, I think, often the same thing when you look at, you know, the challenges with changing how you think about recruiting or the role of AI and technology. It's hard to improve the experience or the outcomes without looking at some of the foundations. You know, how well do we understand the trajectories of the roles we have and how they might evolve so that people stay as their jobs change? How well do we understand the, the core skills that we're recruiting for? And I think the point that you're touching on with, with AI that is interesting is historically, a lot of uses for AI have been around efficiencies. You know, can we recruit faster? Whereas now a lot of the most interesting uses perhaps are around the foundations and the transparency. You know, can we better understand our jobs? Can we better understand our people? Can we better understand our plans? And then use that to better inform our teams. 
And I know that, you know, this is something that you think a lot about in the context of how does new AI, new technology, new data change, you know, the, the roles within our team. How do you think about the changing role of recruiters in this new landscape and with, you know, this new perspective of what should we be thinking about with data, with technology? And, you know, you've already touched on the role as partners to the business, but what else are you seeing? I believe it is super crucial for TA professionals to not see AI as a threat, but rather as an, an opportunity and a possibility to do their jobs better. And as you touched on your yeah, efficiency, that's of course important, but we also want to make the right decisions. We want to make the right recommendations. And I believe it's even more important that we think about the soft and people aspect throughout, let's say, recruitment processes or when dealing with candidates or uh, internal employees, because there have been uh, numerous attempts to optimize the entire recruitment process using AI only and having as little interaction with, let's say, the individuals that either are applying or that are part of the process. And I've seen numerous examples of where that fails miserably because you cannot underestimate that people choose people. So having the combination of using available tech to make the most informed decisions as possible, that's one thing, but not losing the actual social interaction that goes towards both the leaders you're trying to support, coming with well-informed decision-based material or information, while it's then also using it throughout your, your process to ensure the candidate's experience is as, as good as possible, but not losing that people-to-people -people touch. That, of course, puts quite a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but, but new challenges on recruiters, where you need to be a lot more insightful to the available data that is there. Make sure that you extract the right data from that. Use it in, in the best possible way, while not forgetting that you still have a commercial responsibility on the leaders and managers and how the market looks. And you have a responsibility to ensure that the candidate feels that the journey, regardless of how little or how much AI is used, doesn't take away the feeling of, yes, we are still recruiting people. Because that is something that sometimes can be forgotten. And I think it's super important to keep that in mind. It's easy to unintentionally optimize for process rather than people in many cases. And I think in HR, perhaps more than many other parts of the business, the actual human experience is often under-considered, under-mapped, especially in terms of how it evolves. I know that, Telia, one of the ways in which you've been looking at, well, how do we look at optimizing that journey? How do we change the role of what recruiters are able to do is by digging deeper into the data that you have about your people, your hiring, your talent. How are you thinking about the next chapter of learning from the data that you have in your own past hiring? We are on a journey, on a rather big transformation journey also within people and culture. And we need to be significantly better at not only assessing the talent we have, but also then identify what gaps do we have? How do we make it available for people to be reskilled and upskilled? Attrition is something we, we very much look into, which at the end of the day comes down to expectation management, how was the onboarding, how are our leaders living our values. So I would say that Onion has, has quite a lot of layers and you can't just focus on one and think that as if we just tick one layer and then we're done, you need to look at all of them at the same time. And that increases the complexity rather quickly. We are painfully aware of where we still have quite a few learnings to do and where we also have some challenges in terms of data availability and or usage of available data. So from our people analytics function, it's super important that we look at the right data, that we then make that available, and not only to recruiters, but also to our employees. You mentioned before the various career journeys or, or moves an individual wants to do. 
research shows us that 90% of people look externally first when trying to find their next opportunity instead of looking internally. So what is it we can do from our side to visualize and showcase available opportunities in a better way than we obviously managed to do today? Because if we were better, we would have a higher retention and a higher, let's say, rate of internal hires than we currently have. We're not doing that bad job. It's not super bad, but it could be significantly better. In this onion of interconnected opportunities, what are some of the things that you're currently working on have had as, as recent wins that you're most excited about? We have for quite some time, I mean, we have a good, let's say, job family structure. We have a good grading structure, but our job role architecture landscape isn't harmonized across our entire footprint, which means that from time to time we compare apples to pears and blueberries and strawberries, and it's a nice fruit salad, but it's not really fit for purpose. So seeing now that in one big part of our business, we have done a super deep dive on, let's say, job role architecture to determine what do we have, how much of that do we have, what is it we are lacking, which helps us to have an improved workforce plan. It also helps us to have more proactive let's say sourcing methods and activities so that we can become more of a proactive partner instead of just a reactive one trying to fill requisitions that come in, but rather be an informed provider of availability of skills in the market, depending on where we, we want to place that particular talent. So there we have done some important steps. We have proven that the concept works and we have gotten the buy-in from a wider part of our organization and are now in the face of implementing it across our entire footprint, which of course will give significant two plus two is five. So once we have a overview of our entire workforce, instead of just a portion of it, we will be able to make a lot better informed decisions. We will be able to make a lot better recommendations to our existing workforce. And having seen that proof of concept, having seen that it works, that was a rather big step in gaining greater acceptance rate and also ensuring that we will reach that goal of, of utilizing our internal workforce to a wider extent and thus hopefully also bring down our tuition rate a little bit. The importance of job architecture is something that we're starting to see more people speak about considering, but not many folks have already started the journey in the way that you're mentioning and, and describing the, the positive externalities of starting to, to plug this in. And I think part of the difference between this concept of how do we create these foundations like job architecture today versus even a few years ago is a few years ago, it would have been a more traditional compensation oriented exercise, whereas now it is a much more data and AI supporting exercise because it supports how you then create connections between your technologies, your systems. And you touch on the recruiting side. Similarly, when we think about some of these topics of it's easier for employees to find roles elsewhere, well, it's not that surprising when your employees are at a disadvantage compared to your external candidates in a number of ways. Your recruiters don't access your employees when they're looking at sourcing. And so connecting these things is obviously important. Having these foundations is important. But there's also in that journey more than just data and technology. There's clearly the human change that you started describing with how your recruiting team has to operate differently. How have you thought about this in the context of sweating the assets you have? Obviously, your team has been doing some amazing things with technologies like Beamery and others. Are there new things that you're considering bringing into how your ecosystem can be more useful in the technologies your team is using? Of course, ideally, our entire workforce should be part of our talent pool. And now that we are putting a content-based and skill-based 
job role architecture in place across our entire footprint, it gives us a totally different visibility of what we actually have access to. Then, of course, looking in your own backyard first before you start looking across the fence, we will be able to do that to a much wider extent. And when we are then also talking about topics like internal headhunting, which is always a little hot potato in companies, our chief exec, she is all for it. And this will, of course, also be part of the new changes we are implementing so that we don't ring fence people or put them in glass cages where they are not allowed to move because one leader believes that they are so important to his or her team that they can't get rid of them, but we would lose them altogether if we don't offer them an, another internal opportunity. So that would then lead to an increased internal talent mobility, which is what we're striving towards and putting immense efforts on doing because we are 20,000 people in our company. So we have amazing talents available, yeah. but our today still somewhat limited ability to assess that and to then make fact-based or data-driven decisions on what a new next step could be. That, of course, prevents us from really utilizing what we already have, which means that we sometimes tend to look over the fence a bit too often. That's one thing, and that's fine, but we believe that there is more that we can do with our already existing talent. And that is where we are taking rather big steps towards because it's neither sustainable nor financially sane to keep looking across the fence and not having your, your glasses on when looking at your own already existing workforce. Well, to your earlier point around looking at your existing workforce to also upskill and reskill and, and grow that talent, there's clearly also the component of helping that existing workforce stay, as you put it earlier, employable, agile. And some of the foundations you're investing in, like job architecture, are actually key to that because it gives people an easier way of seeing from a more up-to-date and skill-centric way, where do I go? What are some of the things that you're finding to be most important in driving this culture of learning agility? Are there elements of peer-to-peer -peer components like mentoring and, and learning? Are there elements of how you are rethinking, preparing people for learning as you're hiring? How have you thought about creating that culture? So if we look at our values, which is care, dare, and simplify, and if we look at some broken down values, which is walk in your customer's shoes, improve 1% a day, learning is a huge aspect in there as well. And yes, we do have mentorship programs in place. We are actively working with succession planning to also make sure that, that key talent is, is identified and further developed. But this is an area where I think it's still early days. We can do a lot more. But we are also looking into, okay, having dedicated career coaches, they would be part of the talent team, but outside of the talent team. So it is a more discreet way for an employee to get a first or second opinion on where am I at? Where do I want to go? What is it I have? What is it I lack? What is it I should do? That will be implemented during Q4. Really excited and look forward to that. I have worked with that particular setup in the past and it was hugely successful especially in ensuring that the tenure of talent we don't want to lose is extended because sometimes you don't see the forest because there are too many trees in the way. So for us, it's also to visualize and ensure that opportunities for employees or for the workforce are not missed. And sometimes it can help to talk to a neutral part that will look at your profile, look at your potential. There we can work with various assessment tools to determine both the soft and hard skills of, of an individual. And we are spending quite a lot of time and efforts in putting that in place so that we can um, ensure that our workforce also sees the value in state. You've mentioned a number of initiatives, both recently completed, but also clearly in flight when it comes to some of these uh, employee and recruiting programs. How do you think about 
measuring the success of these different programs and also structuring them because, you know, in some areas you're in freshly charted or uncharted waters. And so there's clearly milestones that you're thinking about for internally aligning for early success and how you drive adoption with these employee programs. What's your framework for thinking about how to create the right outcomes in, in this new type of transformation? Here, one has to think a little bit more long term, I would say, than just think here and now what's going to happen in the next quarter. I mean, of course, you want to see results as fast as possible. But here, one needs to be a bit conscious that any of the initiatives I mentioned, they can and will change the world over time, but it's not going to happen within a week, within a quarter or within six months. You can see early on signs of, okay, our attrition rate is slowly moving down. Our internal rate of hiring is going up. The tenure of key competency target groups is extending. But this is a journey where also our leaders will have to take immense responsibility because they are the ones that are in interactions with their employees on a daily basis. So by putting this framework in place, yes, of course, there are expectations of attrition going down, of tenure being extended, of less external recruitments being executed on. But we are all realistic in terms of if we don't put it in place now, we're not going to see it in 24, we're not going to see it in 25. But we have to be a little bit patient on the time it takes for these initiatives to actually get settled in, to get this adoption and being used in the way they are intended. So here we do actually have more of a long-term view of what we want to do than trying to get great wins early on, because this will take time. And if we were thinking that within three months, we're going to see a significant difference, then I think we would be off because it's, it's not going to go that fast. You can look at fill rate, you can look at time to fill. I don't really say, think they say that much. For, for me, a qualitative recruitment is, okay, how was the candidate experience? How was the managerial experience? How was the recruiter experience? So we want to track all experiences to really ensure, okay, we've hit the mark everywhere. If we then look at the quality of hire, I mean, are the people still with us? Six, nine, 12, 18 months down the road. Have they been promoted within a year or two years? Our leaders, are they actively promoting themselves? What's the movement of our internal talents? When I look at recruitment KPIs, back in the days, it was very much a numbers crunching game. I think there we lose out on the qualitative aspect of, of a process and also of a CAD experience, especially for companies like the ones I'm with right now and also was, was previously, which have a very big consumer or to say interaction. And there is super important to also think, okay, what do you do with your silver and bronze medalists? Um, how do you ensure that there is a professionalism throughout the entire process, which sometimes is a little bit overlooked when you're just trying to hunt the numbers? Because we can't afford that from an employer brand or employee value proposition perspective. So these bases also need to be covered. So if I then look into how I want to track our impact and the importance of our function itself, it is by looking at our success more over time than only here and now, because Expectation management from a manager interviewing an individual for a position, okay, during the onboarding phase, which I'm also responsible for, how is your job versus what you were told? Did it turn out the way you thought it was? So without trying to have a survey fatigue or bombarding our new journeys with a ton of, okay, give us something back, we want to learn how you're feeling, there we also need to be conscious, but that's a way that we want to track whether the real life of the new joiner is actually the way it was described. And if we are off, then we need to make adequate changes because it's just, we would be on a losing end if our expectation management is not aligned with what we communicated and then also how real life looks. Absolutely. Well, it's an exciting time to be at Telia. There's a, a lot of reinventions of 
talent recruiting employee journeys that I look forward to following and partnering with you guys on. If you had one piece of advice to your past self on looking back at the journey you've had over the last couple of years, and you were thinking about, you know, what would you do differently or do the same again? What would that be? I was very fortunate in my previous job that I had a white canvas. That rarely happens. So I could handpick my entire team, and it was an amazing team. And uh, I do have an amazing team today as well. But I think what is crucial is to ensure that you have right-sized your TA function, that you have competencies within your own team that match what the business needs, that there is a seniority within your TA function to meet the high expectations of very senior leaders. I've seen in multiple cases that in-house functions from a cost avoidance perspective tend to recruit on the, let's say, lower end of experienced recruiters. I think that is a huge mistake because at the end of the day, being an in-house function, you're being compared to consulting firms on the outside of the market. And you need to be not even just as good as them, you need to be better to stay relevant, to, to make that impact that you want to make. So I would say, be really smart in who you bring on to the team. Make sure that you keep the team motivated and make sure that you also offer growth opportunities within, uh, let's say, the TA team. And do understand that the role of a researcher, the role of a recruiter, it's a profession. It's not just for anybody. Uh, so be selective there and be smart. And some people work well in some companies, some work better than others. So I think the base of what you have, then of course also the digital architecture that you have to your assistance, if that is your, your ATS, your CRM, your assessment tools, how user experience friendly are they? So if the right people is, is the first thing, the second thing is UX. Super important because you need to look at it from the recruiter's point of view, from the candidate point of view, from the manager's point of view, and how do you stay relevant? How do you stand out? What gives you that extra edge? Because the war for talent that people are talking on, I mean, it's over, everybody lost. It will be ongoing forever. And the scarcity of talent is something we just have to live with. So what is it you do that ensures that when you approach talent in the market, that they will listen? So I think it's a combination of all of these, to have the right people, to have the right tools, to have the right candidate journey, to have the right support that you offer, the leaders that you're supporting. So it's a number of things. It's not just one particular one, but it is something that doesn't necessarily keep me awake at night, but uh, that, that occupies my thinking quite a lot. What is the entire infrastructure that you put in place in order to deliver in a cost-efficient and high-qualitative manner? to achieve the goals that are set by my managers and also by the rest of the leaders that we are supporting. Fantastic perspective. And you'll certainly be keeping a few of us awake at night with the thoughts of the war we've already lost. It's true. I think in a world where more and more people have to reskill and upskill and specialization is becoming more and more acute, it is going to be increasingly rare to be able to solve your talent problems through hiring. The only option is to train and hire for adjacent skills and develop people. Otherwise, there was just no way to deal with scarcity when the world of work is shifting so quickly. So I couldn't agree more. Stefan, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for all of the frank insights, perspectives and sharing everything with us. I thank you for taking the time to meet with me. It was really lovely. Thank you very much. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations attract, retain, redeploy and develop the skills they need. Learn more at beamery.com.